folks. Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. Thank you for joining me and thank you especially to those of you who are joining me live on Integral Live and thank you to Integral Life for sponsoring the Daily Evolver live on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, yeah, here we are. So today I wanted to take a look at a debate that I saw on television that I thought was really interesting. And it gets to the issue that, uh, you know, Integral gets into a lot and certainly we do in the Daily Evolver. And that is the question of, is the world getting better or is it, you know, unprecedentedly bad or is it getting worse or what's going on here? And at the Daily Evolver, at least, I often just point to evolution in general, whether it's the evolution of animals and, and all of that, or the evolution of consciousness and culture. It's beautiful in its result. We get the peacock, we get the modern world, we get us at our best, but getting there certainly was not pretty. So that is sort of an integral that I try to work with here, but somehow it doesn't seem to turn up in the, certainly not in this uh, debate, but it's still a really interesting debate by two people who are really, really highly thought of in the, um, you know, mainstream world at large. We're talking about Steven Pinker and Neil Ferguson. And this is a debate that was on the Fareed Zakaria show, GPS, I believe it's called. And he started out with, and I'll just quote this, I, I, I can't play too many pieces of it because they don't like that in the copyright police. So I'm going to read uh, what Fareed said to introduce things. He said, put aside details of border walls and shutdowns, threat of nuclear weapons and AR-15s, Syria and North Korea, shrinking sea ice and rising Ebola infections. And look at the big picture of the world today. Are we in a dark moment, as it may seem to you if you read the front page of most newspapers or spend any time on Twitter? Or are we in one of the best periods in all of humanity, where a few bad trends overshadow all of the good news? All right. So at that point, he turns it over to Steven Pinker and he says, what's your take on this? And of course, Steven Pinker if you don't know, I talk a good bit about him on the show, actually. He wrote two very important books to me. One is The Better Angels of Our Nature, and the other is Enlightenment Now, where he makes a solid statistical scholarly case for, as he puts it, the improvement of human flourishing in virtually all domains uh, over the millennia. He is a professor of psychology at Harvard, and here's how he answers that first question. Well, the nature of journalism is going to emphasize the negative because bad things can happen quickly. But good things aren't built in a day, and they can uh, creep up on us by stealth. So if something explodes, if there is a shooting, if a building collapses, that's news. But if the global extreme poverty rate declines by a few percentage points, uh, there's never a Thursday in Oct October in which it happens, in which it makes the headlines. But when you track the data year by year, you see that the world can be transformed and there's never a point at which it makes the news. All right. So then Fareed 
comes back at Pinker with a book that was written in 1911 called The Great Illusion by Norman Angel. This is a, a book that famously, before the conflagrations of starting with World War I, the Depression, the Mao, Stalin, World War II, the concentration camps, nuclear war, the whole bit, this is 1911. This guy, guy comes out with this popular book called The Great Illusion that predicted that war was over, basically. And um, so Fareed comes back at um, Pinker with that. And, and then I'll get what Pinker says to him. It did. Now, and by the way, Norman Angel did not predict that war could not happen. He just predicted if it did happen. But many people read, read the book and said, and said that, you know, because it represented what seemed like a century of peace and progress that had taken place. Well, uh, only if you look at uh, certain parts of Europe. It wasn't so peaceful in the United States, which had the worst uh, war in its history, the Civil War. It wasn't so uh, peaceful in China, which had the worst civil war in human history, the Taiping Rebellion. Um, not so peaceful in Southern Africa, which had the conquest. Well, then you're making my point. I don't, I'm not sure quite sure. The, 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 well, the, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, despite that illusion of peace, it, the next 30 years proved to be war-filled, violent, bloody. Yes, and, 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 death and it can happen. And, and I'm not predicting that, uh, that, it, that it can't happen. No one could predict that. All right. So I really wish that integral theory, a developmental theory, could be injected here because what is a far more telling distinction between, say, America in the 1800s, America in the 1910s, the America now, is, you know, these, we don't have the same chances of the, these things happening. And uh, the reason is, is because we've developed. And we have developed into a culture that has a center of gravity at modern. It's basically as simple as that. Now, there are still people who have pre-modern worldviews, but they're a minority now. There are people with post-modern worldviews. They're a minority. But all told together, for the developed world, there, is a, there has been a stable, uh, stabilized um, center of gravity, a developmental baseline, if you will, at modern, largely because of the middle you know, 50 years of the 20th century, where we all learned a, a lot of lessons. And that's, you know, the nature of why evolution is beautiful, but not pretty. So, you know, what we still have, as I say, there's still pre-modern people in the developed world. There are also many countries that are pre-modern in the center of gravity of all of the people. And there are certainly subcultures like that, like ISIS. Pre-modern people still basically they it read they love war at amber traditionalism they believe in war because there's still gods on their side but if you can believe that you know isis this band of medieval thinking people thought that they were going to reusher in the caliphate and it made perfect sense to them it makes no sense to us but it makes perfect sense to them because of one thing that we don't even recognize God. You know, God was on their side and God can do anything. And that's also true for people at traditionalism, at, at Amber. ISIS we're talking is red. That's the warrior stage. Amber traditionalism is that, um, you know, still the belief is that their tribe, their religion, their group, their country will 
ultimately triumph, and largely because they still have a religious worldview. So, you know, the question is, can the modern world hold? Can the modern consensus in the developed world and also the skin of modernity that still runs things in the world for better and worse, but largely for better in that the world is radically more peaceful than it's ever been. And that's you know difficult to say when there are places that are as abjectly war-torn as there have ever been in all of humanity. But again, centers of gravity. Uh, but the, the difference between the modern world and the pre-modern world, and I'm talking worldviews, is once you get to modern, you see that there is, there, you get a sense that history is moving somewhere. And you want a few, you want to build a future that is better than what we have. And you want to deliver your children into a better future. At pre-modern, and I'm talking traditionalism and earlier, people don't want further development. They actually want a return. Well, that maybe that's the development to that, but a return to the good old days where it was God and country and everybody knew who they were and we didn't have all this confusion and all of these people. And um, there's an example of this. Here's a tweet from their leader. Or I guess he's our leader, but, you know, Trump. And it's a tweet that he put out the other day about Bible literacy classes in public schools. And you can see, he says, numerous states introducing Bible literacy classes, giving students the option of studying the Bible. Starting to make a turn back? Great. You know, is the culture starting to make a turn back? This is the America, make America great again thing. And, um, you know, that's, that's a real easy line between pre-modern and uh, modern and postmodern people. Now, just as Trump's tweet exemplifies the let's go back to previous greatness worldview, I noted a perfect example of the worldview that says that we can let the old ways go and that there's a new way of being and thinking that can come online, which is the modern and later worldview. It's a song, actually, from the movie A Star is Born, which Chuck and I watched the other night. And it's Bradley Cooper singing it. And I'm going to play just the first verse because, again, I want to be careful about copyright. But he's singing it after hours in a drag bar because one of the drag queens just insisted that he do it. And here it is. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Takes a lot to change a man Hell, it takes a lot to try Maybe it's time to let the old ways die So yeah, maybe it's time to let the old ways die. And then the second verse is a broadside against traditional religion, actually. And he sings... Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Some folks just believe in the things they've heard and the things they've read, but nobody knows what awaits for the dead. And I love that he's using such a traditional song form, the country folk motif, to sing this very untraditional message. 
And then when he gets to the bridge, you'd swear that he had gotten into integral territory because he sings, I'm glad I can't go back to where I came from. I'm glad those days are gone, gone for good. But if I could take the spirits from my past and bring them here, you know I would. You know I would. And of course, that's the integral project, to take the best of the spirit of the earlier stages of development and bring them into a new integration. And that includes the precious gifts of traditionalism, as well as earlier stages, which is something I talk about a lot on this podcast. So, um, so there's that. Okay. All right, so next, I want to play a segment from Neil Ferguson, where Ferguson responds to Pinker's general thesis that things are getting relentlessly better. Steve's great peril is that one day future historians will look back and they will cite Steve Pinker the way historians today cite Norman Angel as somebody who was broadly speaking too confident in the trends and underestimated the black swan, uh, low probability, high impact events that can completely change the historical trajectory. The trend that I'm most interested in, which I think has the greatest potential to disrupt democratic un and undemocratic societies, is our trend towards being a networked world. Because one of the arguments I made in the Square and the Tower, I think, has been vindicated that by, by creating a highly integrated network world online with giant network platforms such as Facebook and Google, uh, we've, we've created a much less stable public sphere in which fake news and extreme views are in fact proliferated because of the way that the algorithms work and the business models of these companies. Now, that's a trend that is disrupting uh, all kinds of different countries from the United States all the way to Myanmar uh, in ways that I think are, are actually quite troubling. And I don't think we have a good answer to the question, what do we do to preserve democracy and the rule of law uh, in an age uh, of, uh, of institutionalized faith news on, on social media. That, that seems to me a big worry. And that's basically the thesis of Ferguson's argument is that, as he says earlier in the show, I don't violently disagree with Pinker that trend lines in terms particularly of physical uh, material wealth and physical security, uh, the trend lines are strongly favorable. But there's always things that can go wrong here. Now, I have to say that he makes that argument as if Pinker weren't also making it. And Pinker goes to great pains to make that argument in his books that things can go wrong. And he has lots on that. So it's a little bit of a straw man argument in terms of him and Pinker. And I, I think they're sort of professional enemies. So whatever. But um, what he's saying is that, you know, there's the black swan. And uh, and, and he also points something out here that I think it, it, Integral can help shine a light on. And he's talking about that what's happening now is this total unintended thing uh, regarding social media and, you know, tying the world, networking the world together. But there's still a progress implicit in that that is worth noting. And that is the danger is not. Uh, violence on a gross scale, 
we would say an integral. There's three dimensions of reality that we often refer to. One is the gross realm, the realm of the physical, the subtle realm, the realm of ideas and thoughts and you know commerce and that sort of thing, and the causal realm, which is the more or less spiritual uh, part of the spectrum. And what we're seeing here is that as the world develops, the conflicts move from the gross realm, from physical clubs and guns and bombs, to uh, where we're fighting on social media platforms. And we're having cyber wars, and we're having culture wars, and we might be having financial wars. Any idea that the world is improving and getting better has to take into account that we still have a lot of fighting forward to do. Now, Integrals sees that fighting is an engine of evolution. It's unfortunate. I wouldn't have set the universe up this way if it were me, but you know, God saw it differently, and we do fight, and the other F word, our way forward, and those are sort of the two poles of how we do it. And so we're moving in the developed world, uh, the, the, pre you know, the pre-modern world, particularly the red world, uh, hasn't got the memo. But in the modern world, we're fighting at, at, at more in the subtle level and, and sort of a higher level of gross physical, if you will, trade wars, that sort of thing. And, you know, so that sort of begs the question, will we eventually evolve into where we're fighting wars on the causal realm and the spiritual realm? And um, seems to me I fought a few. So um, maybe, you know, I don't know. See how that goes. So anyway, so then Steven Pinker responds to this critique, uh, and he talks about the networked world, and he points out that this is always true when a new medium of communication comes online, and he talks about what happened after the Gutenberg Press came online, and we all of a sudden had books, and that there was this new medium which spread all sorts of horrible things. Uh, like fake books of the Bible and the protocols of the elders of Zion and screeds of all sorts, you know. But then over time, there was, as he put it, a re an immune response to that. And a regime settled in to curb the worst excesses. Now, none of us, you know, think that, oh, shoot, you know, too bad about books and publishing, even though even during the sort of pre-internet dark ages, the KKK managed to limp along with mimeograph machines, you know. But now, see, and this is also a, a, a really, I think, important insight of Integral is that one of the great dangers at, of our age is modern, I was going to say weapons, but just modern technology in the hands of a pre-modern mentality. So yes, the internet could never be invented by these people who are peddling conspiracy theories or you know, tribal triumphalism, but it can be used by those people. It's a, that's, that's an ongoing struggle and you know, uh, we, we are absolutely seeing an immune response to that that is coming online and uh you know a lot of people have had a 180 turn 
particularly in Facebook and Twitter, and really seeing them for, you know, we see them for the pernicious um, effects that they've had. All right. And um, Ferguson um, comes back. I'm going to play a segment here. All right. So this is how Ferguson responds to this idea of this was also what happened when books came online. That was a hundred, after 130 years of religious conflict that the printing press undoubtedly fueled. It took a long time to get from Martin Luther to the Peace of Westphalia. And I think one of the lessons of our time is that that analogy that you've just made is very good, that in many ways the personal computer and the internet have done the same to our era as the printing press did to the 16th and 17th centuries. But that's a disquieting thing because it really did produce polarization, uh, epidemics of crazy ideas. You didn't mention the best example, which is the idea that witches live amongst us, which went completely viral on both sides of the Atlantic uh, and, and, and led to thousands of people being horribly killed for absolutely no good reason. That seems to me a reason to be quite cautious about where we're going from here. And he goes on to say that, you know, it may not be 130 years that, of discord that the internet's setting off, but it could, could be 30 of, you know, wild political polarization. I suppose that's true. Um, I think the immune response is gonna come on quicker than that. Again, I think integral theory would be so helpful here and to see that there's really not much danger that we're gonna do anything like burn witches in the modern and pre-modern world and even the traditional world. Now there's, um, there is undoubtedly examples, I know there are, in Myanmar, where villages are burned because of Facebook, um, uh, because of rumor mongering on Facebook, which is basically the same thing as witch burning. You know, they're, they're, these people are against our God and they must not only be, you know, they're not only wrong, they're bad, they need to be eliminated. And that that's a the cascade of thought that happens very easily in the pre-modern mind, but not the modern mind. And we can rely on that, actually. All right. So the other thing that Pinker points out, and I think is really important, is to note that the human psyche has a built-in negativity bias in the sense that we're far more tuned to what can go wrong than what can go right. And that's an evolutionarily appropriate thing. I mean, we want to be more aware of the saber-toothed tiger, you know, you'll use an old example, who's about to jump off the rock and get us, uh, than to where there might be new fresh berries. And that is built into us. But yet, there's an ever-increasing realization of where humanity can go and how we're, you know, what the, what the future could be. And just because Norman Angel wrote a book in 1911 that said that war was likely over, or at least was ruinously expensive, which as, as Pinker points out was actually what he said and it was actually true, uh, that he might not have been right yet. You know, if I think of the other sort of horrible things that human beings have transcended. It's not to say we've completely eliminated them, but cannibalism, you know, uh, it, it, it might well have been that for 
years before cannibalism was eventually eliminated in, in various cultures, that there were people sitting around saying, you know, I don't think we ought to be doing this anymore. And I think we're going to stop doing this. And and they were not right then, but they were right eventually because, you know, they sort of sensed the movement of history, perhaps. Same with slavery. You know, just because you predict the end of something doesn't mean that it's going to happen immediately. And so there are people who are always sort of at the, the cutting edge of these kinds of insights. And I do think that Norman Angel is right. There, I've said it. And that we will eventually see the end of war. Now, and I'm talking war in the gross realm, not necessarily on the subtle and causal realms. Uh, but war on, getting rid of war on the, um, on, the, on the gross realm, on the physical realm, wow, that is, got to call that progress, don't we? So, and then the other thing that Pinker points out, and I do often as well, is, okay, so maybe a positive um, uh, prediction wasn't exactly right. But how about all these predictions of doom that we have all been, you know, bombarded with our whole life? And I think of, you know, in my life, it's been, you know, overpopulation and poverty and famine and Y2K and killer bees and Ebola and mad cow and herpes. I remember when herpes was the worst thing that could have ever happened. Race wars, peak oil, collapses of all kinds. You ought to go to the collapse subreddit, the, the community on Reddit that is about collapse. I mean, they just see it everywhere. And, you know, I can see that it's part of our negativity bias. I can see the evolutionary potency of it. Because again, uh, you know, we want to see what could possibly go wrong, but it does eventually get under the skin and causes a lot of, I think, consternation and depression that aren't really warranted. And this is not a new insight, by the way. I, I, I collected a few quotes from uh, other people who have pointed this out. This is from Adam Smith during the Industrial Revolution, and he writes, Five years have seldom passed away in which some book or pamphlet has not been published pretending to demonstrate that the wealth of the nation was fast declining, that the country was depopulated, agriculture neglected, manufactures decaying, and trade undone. John Stuart Mill writes, I have observed that not the man who hopes when others despair, but the man who despairs when others hope is admired by a large class of persons as a sage. I found that to be true. From Frederick Hayek, implicit confidence in the beneficences of progress has come to be regarded as the sign of a shallow mind. And then finally, from Matt Ridley, he writes, and this is from the introduction to his book, The Evolution of Everything. Let me make a square concession at the start. The pessimists are right when they say that if the world continues as it is, it will end in disaster for all of humanity. If all transport depends on oil and oil runs out, then transport will cease. If agriculture continues to depend on irrigation and aquifers and they're depleted, then starvation will ensue. But notice the conditional if. The world will not continue as it is. And that is a subtle point, but it 
we got in, if we're looking at you know the trend lines of humanity, we have to factor in creativity, and that's not always factored in with the um, collapse people. But you know, I would point out <laughs> that all the people I just quoted, including Steven Pinker, they're all white Enlightenment guys. And uh, Pinker is very identified with the Enlightenment. In fact, his second book was called Enlightenment Now. And it was interesting to me that when they introduced him on the show, they didn't talk about Enlightenment Now. They went back to his first book uh, from, I think, 2011, The Better Angels of Our Nature. Uh, both are bestsellers. But I, I wonder if he's stepping away from that a bit. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that the Enlightenment is controversial. It, you know, but it is in the sense that progressive politics associates the Enlightenment with white identity. And, um, you know, so does the white identity movement, unfortunately. These comments by the representative Steve King a couple weeks ago about, um, you know, why can't we talk about white pride? We, we came up with the Enlightenment. We came up with the Industrial Revolution, we white people. You know, why can't we talk about white supremacy even? And that was where the white supremacy comment got him with even his fellow Republicans. And he was censured. And I think, you know, I guess people say he's on his way out, but we'll see. But at any rate, for, you know, lefty progressives, the Enlightenment is basically white people history. And that's really unfortunate because... If we're talking about the Enlightenment as science and reason, you know, basically the enlightening of the human mind, uh, that is the heritage of humanity. And, you know, where it happens is irrelevant. And that's really um, something that we get deeply at Integral, is that all of this whole catastrophe of history is all of ours. We we don't have to slice and dice it and see who it belongs to. The, the part of the critique of the Enlightenment that I I think is actually accurate and and also applies to Pinker. This is a critique of Pinker that I agree with. Is that there's a certain triumphalism even to the Enlightenment? You know, the Enlightenment idea was that once everybody, you know, the, the earlier ideas is once my tribe wins out and we're uh, in charge, then everything's going to be great. And then we get into traditionalism. Okay, once my God, once my religion is spread far and wide, and everybody adopts it, then it's going to be great. Well, the Enlightenment got rid of both of those. But it brought on a whole new sort of triumphalist idea, which is that once everybody becomes reasonable <laughs> and once everybody adopts science and logic, then everything's going to be okay. And that's just not how it works. You know, enlightenment comes online, but the other stuff stays online too. And so that's, it's a whole big evolving mess. And um, and Pinker, I'm not sure he quite gets that. I think that requires a, a, a sense of, I know he's a psychology professor, but, uh, you know, he misses an interiority. Maybe it's the spiritual interi interiority that um, doesn't recognize that there's a living quality to history, that 
um, there's an erotic move. There's an updraft of history that we are being lived, that there's a loving intelligence that is permeating everything. And, you know, once you start talking like that, <laughs> you can't stay in the academy. Uh, and that's where Pinker wants to stay. I don't blame him. I'm good with that. Uh, we need people in the academy saying what he's saying. I think Ferguson, I think he makes a good point, too. It can go bad at any moment. I don't think Pinker doesn't say that. Uh, but, um, you know, I think with all of it, we can see a, um, a net gain and an upward uh, an updraft of history that at this point we can rely on and and see that there's, you know, things beneath which we're not going to go back to cannibalism anytime soon here, uh, unless life conditions radically change. I mean, if we get hit by an asteroid, who knows? But, you know, if the things play out, uh, even the, the, uh, the bad side of the street, that, you know, there's still that, that forward movement that doesn't catch the news every day, but it's happening and it's, reliable. All right. <laughs> That's my story today. And I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you got some food for thought. Thank you again to Integral Life. And uh, if you're interested to see my whole body of work, you can go to my personal website, dailyevolver.com. All right. That's it for today, folks. Jeff Salzman signing off. See you next time.